Does the book of Revelation teach that Jesus is going to return to this earth to reign for a thousand years? The vast majority of Christendom, both Catholic and Protestant, says no. We say yes. Also, the majority of Christians believe they will spend eternity in an ethereal world called heaven. We believe that the book of Revelation clearly teaches we will live eternally on a new earth. Stay tuned for a discussion of these issues. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Once again this week, my two colleagues, Tim Moore and Nathan Jones, have joined me to provide answers to frequently asked questions about the book of Revelation. Folks, this is our third program in this series. In the first two, we focused on what the book of Revelation has to say about the Great Tribulation. Today, we're going to take a look at what it says about the millennium and eternity. But first, Nathan, how about telling our folks how they can see the previous two programs we made. Oh, absolutely. Come to our website at ChristinProphecy.org or LambLion.com. You can also download our Lamb and Lion app available on all the different venues. And you can check out our YouTube channel at Christ in Prophecy. Well, thank you, Nathan. Fellas, let's jump into this right now so that we can cover as many of these questions as possible. And the first one's kind of long-winded. So, here we go. Six times in the 20th chapter of Revelation, it refers to a thousand-year reign of Jesus on this earth. How in the world did the majority of Christendom end up denying the plain sense meaning of this chapter by arguing that Jesus will never return to this earth? How do you explain it? Well, I think what happened in the early years of the church is the church fathers began to move away from their Jewish roots. As a matter yeah. of fact, many of them turned into true anti-Semites. And so, that meant that they wanted to discount all the promises made to the Jewish people and for that reason, they began to spiritualize many of the promises. Yeah, because this was primarily going to be a Jewish kingdom. Exactly right. right. Jesus is going to reign on yeah. this earth for a thousand years from Jerusalem. from Jerusalem, and that the Jewish nation would be returned to being the prime nation in the world. And they wanted to kind of minimize that promise and appropriate the various promises made to the Jews for the church. So they spiritualized much of prophecy dealing with the future reign of Christ, the millennial kingdom. And that meant that they said, well, the thousand years doesn't really mean right. what it says it means. What about it, Nathan? Any other factors? Well, I think it's a misunderstanding of what exactly comprises the kingdom of Christ. Uh, Cotton Mather, he was a Puritan pastor many years ago. And I think he gave the best definition of what Christ's kingdom is. It was a four-part kingdom with the fourth part yet to come. And he said the first one was a, it's a spiritual kingdom. Obviously, the church is a spiritual kingdom. There's a providential kingdom because God rules. It's also an ecclesiastical kingdom. Christ rules through the church. And we've got those three aspects now. But the fourth that's yet to come is the Davidic kingdom, where Jesus physically sits on the throne of David in Jerusalem. And that's the part that tends to be forgotten and, and left behind. But that is a very much part of the prophecies for Christ's kingdom is a Davidic kingdom where Jesus rules and reigns. Yep. I think there's also an element that one of those promises, even that Cotton Mather recognized, uh, the church ruling ecclesiastically, 
that really is not happening in its utter fulfillment. In other words, we who are the church age saints will return with Christ to reign during His millennial kingdom. And yet many of the early church fathers, and to this day, some church leaders think, well, the church is going to ascend to actually rule over uh, the world here and, yes, yeah. here and now, and we will so conquer the world or at least reign over it that we'll hand that kingdom to Christ when He returns. I actually think this constitutes what I call Christian hubris. In other words, the idea that we can perfect uh, our own element here in this world. We can world. do it ourselves. We can do it ourselves. Without God, Jesus. we can take care of this and we'll hand it over to you. And it's when also you a return. direct violation of what the Bible teaches of about course. the end times because it says the end times that things are going to get worse and worse and worse, not better and better and better. Exactly right. Okay, well, let's go on to the next question, and that is why is there any need for a millennial reign? Well, I think we just touched on that. Nathan, you want to hit that one first? Well, there's so many promises of any prophecy in the Bible. The, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ on this earth is what the most prolific. And Jesus has been promised to rule and reign over this earth. He is the worthy lamb who was sacrificed for our sins. He took the title deed of the earth back from Satan. And so there are promises that Jesus must rule and reign here on this Nathan, earth. Nathan, I grew up in an amillennial church, a church that denied Jesus would ever come back and reign again. And um, they, they always said, they always taught me the only place in the Bible where a reign of Jesus is mentioned is in Revelation 20. What about it? Old Testament? Is there any mention? Oh, obviously. <laughs> wow, you have Throughout. to. Yes, yes. And they'll, they'll ascribe the over church that is old. But what about when Jesus returns and he's going to land on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split in two and he's going to free the people out Zechariah of Jerusalem? 14. Zechariah. Yeah, Zechariah, Zechariah 12. Talk, it talks about Jerusalem's primary role in the end times. In fact, I found out later on that if you really want to find out about what's going to happen during the millennium, you don't read the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is primarily about the tri uh, tribulation. There's one chapter about the millennium and the only new information there is it's a thousand years. You want to find out about the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the millennial reign of Jesus, read the book of Isaiah from beginning to end. Oh, well, the yes. other aspect that is not touched out uh, if you look at the amillennialist is the promises again to the Jewish people. The fact that they will return to a nation of primacy. You know, that's a promise that was repeated over and over in the Old Testament. And so, modern Christians that say, well, that's not really what God meant. And what He meant was spiritual Israel and that's the church. No, He meant Hereditary Israel, and those promises are still to be fulfilled for the Jewish people, let alone the earth itself, which yes. is given promises oh for word. restoration to be returned like the Garden of Eden. We're not seeing that today, at no. least uh, if you look at my backyard with the weeds growing and the, the thorns and the thistles. And so, and what? the church is promised to rule and reign with Jesus Christ for a thousand years. Yeah. So that we inherit that, but we can't do it in our current form. We have to do it in our glorified Well, basically, bodies. the only way you can get around all these promises in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and in the book of Revelation chapter 20 is to spiritualize. And yes. that is, you, you take the position, it doesn't mean what it says. And you spiritualize it to mean something else. But all the first coming prophecies meant what they said. Why would the second coming prophecies not mean what they say? Exactly so. Okay, let's go to the next one. And that is, Revelation 20 says, Satan will be bound at the beginning of the millennium. People who don't uh, believe in a millennium, the amillennials, they believe we're in the millennium today. They believe it began at the cross and will end uh, at the second coming of Jesus. They claim Satan is bound today. 
Boy, if he is, as you like to say, Dave, he's on an awful long leash. We know that Satan is restrained. He is limited in what he can do. He was, he was restrained even in the Old Testament when he went to uh, before God himself to say, I want to uh, now do this to Job. And God said, well, you can, you can affect his family. You can affect his, his belongings. You can touch his body. You, but he gave limits to Satan's power even over one man. That is still true today. So Satan's defeat was sealed at the cross, but he is not currently defeated. Even be. as he promised Jesus, he said, I can give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus didn't say, well, those aren't yours to give. They are still under his well, authority. If, if because he wasn't he's, under, a, if, if their kingdoms weren't his, then Jesus was not tempted. Exactly right. No, he, he is the prince of this world yeah. right now. So, uh, yeah, it's... Um, uh, another thing about this is it says in the book of Revelation that Satan's going to be bound in a very special way. It says he's going to be bound so that he can no longer deceive the nations of the world. Show me a nation today that's not deceived. Oh boy, there isn't one. <laughs> They're all deceived. Okay, let's go to the next one. Boy, I love the way we're covering these questions, guys. Keep firing. Revelation 20 says Satan will be released at the end of the millennium. Now, why would he be bound for a thousand years, released at the end of the millennium? Well, you know, Satan might think that he's got it all, he's in charge, and he's running the show. But like you said, he can't do anything without God giving him permission to work within a certain boundary. And Satan has always been a lightning rod for those who want to rebel against God. And so here we get this 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ. It's, it's defined by peace and righteousness and justice. Lifespans are long again. Animals and people are getting long. It's a, uh, sin is low. It's a wonderful thing. But the human body still wishes to rebel. It still lusts and craves and stuff. And even though people will be going to see Jesus every year, you can see some verses refer to the fact that some of the nations, say for Egypt, for example, decide not to go up and see Jesus. There's already, you start seeing elements of rebellion He's in the world. It's going to be ruling with kingdom. a rod of iron. Yeah, it'll be real strict and they don't want to live. They want to live free in their human body. So even in a paradise, a utopia, we've got Satan released at the end for the purpose of being again that lightning rod. Those who wish to rebel against Jesus will gather to him. Tragically, we're talking about uncountable millions. They will go up to Jerusalem yet again to try to overthrow Jesus. He doesn't spend seven years. He doesn't waste time. Fire, boom, he's done. I think there are many people today who think, well, if we could just perfect society, uh, then people yeah, would live in an environment where there's no temptations, this and that and the other. It's the old nature versus nurture. If we could just nurture humanity correct, Absolutely. then we could achieve perfection. We could be like God, the original lie perpetrated in the Garden of Eden. And so that is humanism. That is the false religion of humanism, which is rampant today even in our culture. The belief that man is basically good and can be perfected, but the Bible says exactly the exactly opposite. Exactly the opposite. So even after a millennium where there has been perfect nurturing of the mortals on this earth, they will still rebel against God's the Lord. God's going to prove once and for all that humanism is false. Yes. And you know, we go in a circle here. We began all of history with two people in a perfect environment. They rebelled against God. We end up with all of humanity in a perfect environment. They still rebel they against still God. Rebel. And I'd like to clarify one point that people ask is that will the church rebel along with Satan? No, no. no. Those who are glorified, glorified bodies, bodies will be loyal to Jesus. It's the children of the tribulation saints. Yes. They will be the ones who will yes. rebel. Uh, you know, I had a fellow tell me one time, he said, I just don't see why they would, re why they would rebel. They're, they're living in a perfect society. They can see Jesus. I said, hey, Jesus was here once before and people saw it. And what did He do? He healed people. He blessed people. He fed people. And they crucified Him. Yes. That's right. 
A week after so calling Hail, Hosanna to the Son of David, a week later they were yelling crucified. Okay, very quickly, Revelation 20.11 speaks of a great white throne judgment at the end of the tribulation. What is that all about? Well, the great white throne judgment is where it says that people will be judged for their deeds. And what people? Well, those who have uh, been resurrected to stand before the great white throne. And there are a lot of people today who say, Yeah, but well, who are those people? These are people who died without a faith relationship with God. Exactly Every right. unbeliever in history. Every We're not unbeliever. about believers. No, no, no. And so there are a lot of people today who think, well, I'll just hope that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. Folks, let me just be, make it very clear. That is a horrible fate that awaits you because Isaiah says very clearly in Isaiah 64, 6, all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. And so anybody who's relying on their good deeds, when they stand before that great white throne and the Lord Himself judges them based on their deeds, will be condemned forever. Okay. They're missing the only deed that matters, Jesus Christ's death on the cross, accepting that. Exactly Revelation right. twenty twelve says, A book of life will be opened at the white throne judgment. What in the world is that? Well, there's actually two books of life. There is Psalm 139.16. That's everybody who's ever born is in that book. And then there's the Lamb's book of life. Those are who are saved. You can be in the regular book of life because you were born, but the Lamb's book of life means that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you will inherit eternal life. Great. Let's take a brief break and then we'll take a look at what Revelation says about eternity. I'd like to take a moment to invite you to consider becoming one of the Prophecy Partners of this ministry. Our Prophecy Partners are a team of special supporters who lift us up in prayer on a regular basis and who supply us with the funds that make it possible for us to broadcast our television program. To become a Prophecy Partner, all you have to do is make a commitment to pray for us regularly and supply us with a donation of $25 a month or more, less than a dollar a day. In return, Dr. Reagan will send you a monthly insider letter informing you about the ministry's opportunities, challenges, and prayer needs. With that letter, you'll receive a gift each month, like a printed copy of our bi-monthly magazine, a video teaching or booklet about some aspect of Bible prophecy, and each November, a copy of our annual Holy Land calendar for the next year. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, we hope that you will seriously consider returning that blessing, paying it forward by becoming one of our very valued Prophecy Partners. Thank you, and God bless you. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy and our responses to questions about the book of Revelation and what it says about the millennium and eternity. Okay, fellas, let's pick up where we left off. First, another long-winded question. Revelation 21 comes as a shock to most people who are not familiar with Bible prophecy, and that's because it presents a new heaven and a new earth and shows believers being lowered down to that new earth inside a new Jerusalem. Now, I grew up in a non-millennial church, and we were taught that we were going to live eternally in an ethereal world where we would be spirits floating around on clouds playing harps. What is this about a new earth? Well, the Bible teaches that the Lord is going to reshape the earth, that He's going to come with a new Jerusalem upon the earth. So, obviously the earth may have to be enlarged for the dimensions of Jerusalem, the city that will be built, and that the Lord Himself is going to live right amongst us. He's going to dwell with us. And that's not just a New Testament prophecy. That is a promise from the Old Testament. So, in Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 35, 
Ezekiel has given us the dimensions of this new city, and he says at the very end of his book, he says, the name of the city from that day shall be, the Lord is there, or Yahweh, Yahweh Shema. Shema, the Lord is there. Yes. Uh, boy, that was a shock to me. Uh, I mean a real shock that we were going to spend eternity on a new earth, and God was going to come down. Heaven's going to come to earth, and we're going to live in the presence of our Creator, well, have how, intimate fellowship. How did they explain how you could sit on a harp and be a ghost and play a cloud and play a harp. How does that work? When the hands go through the harp? That goes back to Greek philosophy. Okay. When we began, when the church began to convert so many Gentiles, those Gentiles came in the church with Greek philosophy. And Greek philosophy taught that everything material is evil. evil. That's where Gnosticism came from. The Gnostics said Jesus could not have been in a, in a fleshly body because that would put God who is perfect in something that's imperfect. So, He was just a ghost and He wasn't really killed. And, and wow. Uh, so, all of that came in with, uh, with Platonic philosophy and the idea that it can't be a new earth. It's, that's, just, that's just a code word for Heaven because we can't spend eternity on something material. Okay, now we have a series of questions submitted by viewers, and we want to go through these Good. as quickly as possible. So, here we go. Jerry L. writes, Will we know each other in Heaven? Absolutely. I mean, it's a family reunion in Heaven. You will know all those who are saved. They're in Heaven with you. Family, loved ones. Now, of course, they had to be saved to be in Heaven, but we will know each other. Best explanation of that I ever heard was, if I'm not David in Heaven, then David wasn't saved. Ooh, that's like that. I mean, come on. I'm going to be David in Heaven, just like David here, but I'm going to have a new name. Yes. Yes. A new name's going to be given to each of us. Okay, number two. Are our loved ones who are in Heaven now watching us? This is, comes from Jerry L. No, I, I don't believe our loved ones in Heaven are watching us. They're too busy enjoying fellowship with the Lord Himself. They have no real immediate interest in watching us. They hope that we will join them, and if we are believers, obviously we will. But we know that there's a wide chasm even between the heavenly realm and us, which is what the parable talks about in Luke chapter 16 with Lazarus and the rich man. And the rich man said, please, send someone back. And Lazarus said, no, there's a great chasm. I can't go back. I don't think people can even see. Well, what kind of Heaven would it be, too, if they are looking down at the oh. sins and the destruction oh. on the yeah. earth all the time? It wouldn't be much of a Heaven. No. Okay, here's a very interesting question now uh -oh, and he's that looking the at Bible me. does not specifically address. Okay. Shane S. of Covington, Washington writes, If a baby or child dies on earth, will it remain so in Heaven? Well, like you said, there's absolutely nothing in the Bible that says what age we will be when we're in Heaven. Some look to Jesus that He did His ministry between 30 and 33, and then we'll be 30 to 33. Some back from the dead experiences like Terry James has had, he believes that they looked like in their mid to late 20s. Uh, there are different theories, but no, you won't be an eternal baby. Uh, the idea is that you have fellowship with God as a mature adult, a finished product, and you can't be a finished product if you're still a baby. Well, I, I would agree with that. I don't think they're going to be eternally a baby. But I have another idea, and okay. that idea is, and this is just a guess, that the Lord, one of the, one of the uh, blessings He might give is that all of the children who died as babies, that He might give their parents the opportunity to raise them mm. to adulthood. And uh, so, we'll, we'll see. Oh, some of those families were pretty big back then too. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here we go. This is from Carrie H. in East Bend, North Carolina. When we get to Heaven, will we know all things, or will we keep on learning? Oh, that's a great question, because <laughs> I look forward to continuing to learn. I think that we will then know as we are known. As a matter of fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verse 11 and 12, or actually 12 off site, he said, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as 
I also have been fully known. So I think we will gain understanding. But can you imagine being able to go to the outer reaches of the galaxies and explore stars and see the magnificent the magnitude of what God has created all over the universe and to understand all of history, I think that we will have an eternity to absorb and to just worship God for all that He has yeah, accomplished. And I have and done. a concept of us being able to do that in our glorified bodies without a spaceship. There you go. <laughs> so I don't think we could contain that instantaneously. But Furthermore, in our, God is infinite. Exactly. Yes. And I think we will always be learning. I think Romans 11.33. For example, a, 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 a Bible study of the book of John with John. John, with yes. John, yes. I think Romans 11.33 gives us the answer. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways are past finding out. God is infinite. We will be chasing infinite knowledge, which <laughs> means we'll never learn it all. Okay, number five. Will I still be married in heaven? This is from Carolyn R. Oh, I'm glad that's yours, Nick. <laughs> You know, uh, I, I feel for the those who write in and ask about that, because usually it means a spouse had just died. That's right. And they're That's really right. hurting, and they really want to know the answer to this. Yes. If you go to Matthew 22, 30, where they, that same question was asked of Jesus, and He said, in heaven you'll be like the angels. You won't be married. You won't be having sex. Some people want to know if there's sex in heaven. We will we'll still have genders, but we will not be procreating. So, no, you have a spiritual union with our Savior, Jesus Christ, yeah. and that's the marriage that will That will be we'll fulfilling. Have. That, that will be able to. Right. I love also what he says, same kind of passage when he's talking uh, to that question, but he addresses in Mark chapter 12, verse 24, when the Sadducees ask him this very question with a woman who has married seven different husbands, will she be married in heaven? And the Lord's response starts this way He said, Is this not the reason you are mistaken that you do not understand the scriptures or the power of God? And so I think there's an element to where when we get there and are fully known, Right now we have an intimacy of relationship with our spouse, and it is a beautiful thing. It's a, a picture of the intimacy that the Lord God has with His triune self. And so when we are in heaven, we will have the ability to be united with the Lord God and have intimacy of fellowship with our fellow believers. And so I think that it will blow our minds the way that we, I hate to use that phrase, but I cannot understand right now, it's beyond comprehension but we will have that level of spiritual interaction with the Lord God that will fulfill all of that need for fellowship, which right now we only meet in that spousal relationship. Okay, here's Amen. one from Leslie C., and it's a good one. Considering the size of the New Jerusalem, 1,500 miles wide, long, and high, how will it fit on the new earth? I mean, it, won't it cause the earth to wobble? I mean, it's just so huge. Well, it is huge, and that's why I indicated earlier, the Lord, when He reshapes this earth, when He reforms it in perfection, it may be an expanded earth. Yes. We have no idea what the Lord has in store, but He is the author of creation, and so He will size it appropriately and make sure that it runs we perfectly. We know it's going to be very different from the current Oh, earth. certainly. For example, He says there will be no sea. So, there will be lakes and ponds and things like that, but no sea. And well, Jerusalem will be the highest oh, point yeah, on earth? highest point on earth. Well, you think that the, the New Jerusalem will stretch from the Atlantic to Colorado and from Canada to yeah. Mexico. I've heard some scientists say that the earth, New Earth would have to be the size of Jupiter yeah. to hold the planet, to hold this, uh, excuse me, the city without a weird wobble. Yeah. But <clears throat> even so, it's been calculated that each person it could fit in the New Jerusalem and have 70 miles cubed just to themselves. Oh, it's that's that wonderful. big. It's I'm, huge. I'm, I'm, I don't have that much now. <laughs> okay. All right, Nathan, I'm going to direct this to you. Okay. Do pets go to heaven when they die? Signed by go, Elizabeth Nathan. and a thousand other people. It's actually two questions. They want to know if they'll have pets in heaven. 
I believe that the Lord is going to have animal life back. All the we extinct things. There now. You might have a pet brontos brachiosaurus. You know, you might fly a tyrannodon. <laughs> you might wow. have a horse. You're, there are pets in heaven. Jesus is returning on a white horse. But and now I know this isn't popular. So if you have any problems with my answer, write Tim Moore and <laughs> I tell him. But uh, I don't believe that our pets now will be given an afterlife because we know in Genesis that God breathed life into humanity alone, not the animal life. And so animals are wonderful things that I love my dog, Molly. I have a beagle. She's a pest, but she's a wonderful dog. But I don't anticipate I'm going to have to take care of her forever. Well, I'm going to take a, a, a different approach and I know because you do, yes. um, I, I believe God's got a lot of surprises in store for us in heaven. And one of them might be that we would have the pet that we have now. We don't know for sure. There's not any indication one way or the other. So I'm just going to say, I'm hoping that Miss Lizzie, my dachshund, will be there. Now here's, I'm going to come right, right in the middle. Okay. As you might yeah. well imagine from where I'm sitting. sitting yes. If we don't have husbands and wives, there's no marrying and giving in marriage because our relationships are so much fuller beyond even that spousal relationship and with the Lord. I agree that there will be animals and we will be able to enjoy them in the fullness. All the creatures, great and small, but if we are not having husband and wife relationships, I'm not sure that we will even have the distraction, if you will, of worrying about a relationship with a specific animal because our focus will be on Jesus Christ. Well, I'm still hoping Absolutely. for Ms. Lizzie. I, I hope uh, for let, you. Me, let me skip to another question right fast that we can handle quickly. Will we have to endure purgatory before going to heaven? Quick answer, no. Absolutely. No. <laughs> There's no purgatory in the Bible? No, of course no. not. It came hundreds of years later after the and first century. Purgatory is a blasphemy of Jesus Christ because it's saying that the cross and was the not blood sufficient. was not sufficient to cleanse us of our sins, that we have to go and suffer to be cleansed of our sins. Yes. So it's just absolute nonsense. Okay. Uh, here's one from Sherry B. Is it carnal to expect rewards in heaven? Oh my goodness. That means that what Jesus was taught about, especially in Matthew 6 and Luke 12 and all, where He taught about eternal rewards, where Paul taught about crowns that will wear eternal testaments of our service here on earth that will lay before the feet of Christ in eternal act of worship. Uh, absolutely not. It's not carnal at all because the Lord loves to give. He loves to give good gifts yes. to His children. And eternity is spent uh, celebrating what the Holy Spirit did through us while we were on this earth. I think that those of us who long for the return of Jesus Christ are promised a crown of righteousness. That's right. And not just for my own sake to be able to wear. I want something to throw at the feet of Jesus Amen. Christ to say, Amen. praise you, Lord. Whatever crown yes. I've got is due to you. And so I hope I have a whole stack of crowns. Well, you to know, cast our pastor, Glenn Meredith, has taught a lot on this. And, and he. So, he says, people always say, well, but if, if he has a crown and I don't have one, well, I'll be jealous of him. He said, hey, come on, you're going to be in a perfected state. You're going to be in a glorified body. That sin nature is going to be gone. You're going to be as proud of that person as you would be proud of your son today who accomplishes something. Amen. Yes. We've really enjoyed answering your questions today on Bible prophecy, and we hope you'll keep those coming. This is one of the funnest things that we get to do is answering specific questions that you, our viewers, have asked of us over the years. Well, folks, that's our program for this week. I hope it has been a blessing to you, and I hope, the Lord willing, that you will be back with us next week. Until then, this is Tim Moore speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. If you found this program interesting, we would suggest you order a copy of our newest video album, Questions and Answers About Bible Prophecy. The album contains two DVD discs that feature seven television programs in which Dr. David Reagan, 
Colonel Tim Moore, and our internet evangelist, Nathan Jones, answer questions sent into the ministry by our television audience. The first two programs concern the validity of the Bible and Bible prophecy in general. These are followed by five programs that respond to specific Bible prophecy questions regarding the signs of the times, the rapture, the tribulation, the millennium, and eternity. Each of the programs run about 25 minutes in length and each program could be used as a starter for a group discussion of the topic. The total running time of all the programs is approximately 175 minutes. The album can be yours for a gift of $20 or more, including the cost of shipping. Just call our ministry at the number you see on the screen Monday through Friday between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time or place your order through our website at lamblion.com. This album contains answers to the most frequently asked questions about Bible prophecy. Again, the album can be yours for a gift of $20 or more, including the cost of shipping. Just call our ministry Monday through Friday between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time and ask for item number D83 or place your order through our website at lamblion.com. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus.